This is The Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett, a podcast from the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, an organization dedicated to eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism. Listen as Donzel talks about the relevant topics that will inspire you and help build your capability to take action and change the world. Because none of us are doing enough as long as racism still exists. And now, here's your host, Donzel Leggett. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Arc of Change podcast with Donzel Leggett. In this critically important episode, I will address the historic election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to the office of the United States Presidency and Vice Presidency, as well as the welcome defeat of 45 and Trumpism. Then I will describe what we must do now to help transform this country by eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism with the arc of change. Now let's get started with our show. So I am Donzel Leggett, host of the Arc of Change podcast and founder of the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition or ARC. Now ARC is a coalition of dedicated people committed to eradicating racism and spreading anti-racism throughout our communities, our countries, and the world. This is the arc of change. Now, in my last podcast, Why We Must Vote No to 45, I implored everyone to vote no to 45 or Donald Trump and all those public officials who support him because it was not only imperative to the arc mission of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism throughout our communities, our countries, and the world, but also because it directly aligned with our ARC values, specifically welcoming all political views as long as the core value and purpose of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism was held above all. I logically argued that it was clear that Donald Trump and all those who support him were not aligned with this core value. And I specifically focused on the following three reasons. Number one, I explained that he was the most visible symbol of racism and hate in the United States of America. He has chosen to not be a uniter, but instead a divider. He had chosen the side of wrong. Number two, I explained that he had destroyed common cause for good. He had chosen to not focus on the common good of the country and the common good of the people, but instead to focus on the selfish benefit of himself. He had chosen the side of wrong. And finally, number three, I detailed how he has created this tribalist division called Trumpism, threatening the preservation of our democracy. I clarified that Trumpism is not conservatism. It's not republicanism. Instead, it is dangerously close to autocracy and fascism. And that choosing Trumpism over democracy was equivalent to choosing the side of wrong. Bottom line, I argued that this election was not about politics, but instead about values. And not about red or blue, or Republican or Democrat but about right and wrong. And that Ark was choosing the side of right while 45 or Trumpism 
was on the side of wrong. And that the future of the United States and whether our grand experiment of democracy would survive would be determined in only a few days. After releasing the podcast, I was confident that over the last four years, I had done everything that I could possibly do to ensure that enough people voted no to 45, at least within my personal reference my network, my realm of influence. All that was left to do now was await the results on Tuesday, November 3rd. As the results began to come in on the evening of November 3rd, there was certainly a lot of nervousness as the future of our democracy, as I just mentioned, in my opinion, was on the line. Whether Americans would choose hope or despair, love or hate, democracy or autocracy and fascism, unity or division, inclusion or exclusion, whether we would continue to strive to be the United States or take a dangerous step closer to formally becoming the divided states. Early in the evening, it felt as though the potential for despair and a loss for Biden and decency and a victory for hate was possible. It was a gloomy beginning to the evening. As it got later in the evening, it seemed that the tide started to turn just a little bit. But the result was still unclear, in doubt, and truly in the balance. Then later that night, a glimmer of hope. Wisconsin and Michigan looked to be going to Biden. Wisconsin by a small margin, but Michigan's margin was growing. Then Minnesota officially went to Biden in a margin five times larger than it had gone for Hillary Clinton in 2016. A really, really good sign. And although Biden was down by over 600,000 votes in Pennsylvania, most of the mail-in votes from several traditionally strong Democratic districts had not yet been counted. And there was a growing feeling that overnight as those votes got counted, 45's lead could likely be erased. Now, it was kind of hard to believe that being 600,000 votes down, Biden could actually turn around and win that state. But many experts like James Carville were extremely confident that it was imminent. Overnight, the Philadelphia mail-in votes started to be counted. And on Wednesday morning, the lead was down at 200,000, with hundreds of thousands of mail-in votes still to be counted in districts in which Biden was winning the mail-in vote by four to one margins. Additionally, Georgia had significantly tightened, and Arizona and Nevada looked to be trending toward Biden. And just like in Pennsylvania, the majority of the votes remaining to be counted in those states were a large amount of mail-in votes from traditionally Democratic districts. And again, the mail-in vote trend was significantly favoring Biden. By Thursday, it was now clear to at least me that when all the votes were counted in Philadelphia, that state would go to Joe Biden and the election would go to Joe Biden. I thought that because I could see that Nevada and Arizona were pretty clearly going to go to Biden. So I 
was now sure that Biden was going to win. And I just knew it was a matter of time. But I didn't want to celebrate until the election and victory were officially called by the national news organizations. My wife and I were pretty sure that Friday night it was going to happen. We were ready to celebrate. Well, unfortunately, it didn't happen. And just like some in the Biden campaign, we were a little bit disappointed. Then Saturday morning, my wife was eating her oatmeal and I was just about to go work out. But I decided, you know what, let me skip my workout. Let me at least watch a little bit of the news, get an update on this vote count to see if I can kind of estimate by what time Saturday evening this thing was going to be called. And then suddenly around 1025 a.m., it happened. It happened. NBC News projects that Joe Biden has been elected the 46th president of the United States of America. We were caught off guard, but we still jumped out of our chairs for joy anyway. I ran outside, man, with just kind of my my shirt just on a half on, yelling, yes, 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 at the top of my lungs. Then I ran to the back door. I got my shirt all the way on this time and went out there and screamed again, yes, yes, for like 30 seconds straight, just yes, yes. It literally felt like a long darkness had been lifted and the sunlight was finally shining through. It felt like an omnipresent dark cloud of despair and foreboding had dissipated. Over 74 million people at that at that moment had voted no to 45. Over 74 million had voted no to Trumpism. Over 74 million voted to dump Trump. Donald Trump was out. Finally, the nightmare was over. This had been a long journey for my wife and I. You know, we had um, started this passionate mission to educate and wake up people to the dangers of 45 as soon as he was elected. And our objective was to make him a one-term president. My wife and I had never really been heavily involved in politics before 2017. My wife had door knocked for President Obama's campaigns in 08 and 2012, and I donated to his and other campaigns. But that was the extent of it. But as soon as 45 was elected in 2016, we both knew immediately that we had to do something. We had to stand up. We had to speak out. We had to take action against his hateful message and administration. We made it our top priority as a family to convince everyone that we knew and even those we didn't know how dangerous this man was and that we must all take a stand against him and start organizing now to ensure that he was voted out in 2020. We became very, very visible community leaders, standing up publicly, speaking out publicly, making sure everyone knew where we stood against 45. We started taking action. 
I actually ran for office in 2018. It wasn't in my plan, but I felt I had to do something to show people how serious I was. My wife became a campaign manager and one of the best known community organizers in our area. We challenged friends and family to do the same, to stand up, speak out and take action against Donald Trump and his racist administration. Not all our friends were were there with us. Some of them decided that was not where they where their mind was, where their heart was. We lost some friends, some family didn't stand with us as well. Some family relationships were damaged. There was career impact. We were attacked verbally and in print. But the bottom line for us was that if there ever was a time for us to make a choice to stand for our values and fight for right over wrong, that time was now. And we would do whatever it took and face whatever consequences came at us to ensure that enough people saw the truth about the hateful and destructive message of 45 and vote him out of office in 2020. We saw his racism, his sexism, his hate, his ego, his infamy, his selfishness, his lack of care for anyone and anything. But we also saw that he was an existential threat to the sovereign democracy of the United States of America. We were fueled with personal and social passion and love of country to make sure that others saw it and joined the fight to wake up more people to this great, great threat and do whatever it took to ensure that again, he was voted out of office in 2020. This is what our lives became in November, 2016. And what our lives have been since. Our number one goal since 2016 in November. Get Donald Trump to be voted out of office in 2020. So that Saturday morning, November 7th at 1025 a.m. Central Time. Was one of the most fulfilling moments of our lives. We, my wife and I, among tens of millions of other Americans had set a goal in 2016 to make sure that enough people voted no to Donald Trump in 2020, and we achieved that goal. Aside from the day of our marriage and the birth of our four children, for me, there may have not not have been a, a better feeling that I've ever experienced. But then later that day, my 83 year old father called me. He never calls. He was happy that hate had been defeated. Then he gave the phone to my mother. And she happened to be talking to my 78-year-old aunt. And for 15 or 20 minutes, my aunt, my mother and I talked. And then my mother really started sharing emotionally the importance of this election. She cried and repeatedly thanked Jesus for helping make good people see that they had to take action. Help them see the light. Help motivate and inspire them to go out and vote against hate and prejudice. 
Both my mom and my aunt were so happy that the majority of Americans voted down racism in Donald Trump while also voting for the first woman and woman of color to be the vice president. They called it a two for one. My mama said that she was so happy that all the aches and pains in her 83 year old body went away as soon as she heard that news. And that all she wanted to do was cry and sing and cry and sing for joy some more. You know, hearing my mother and my auntie talk so emotionally and be so happy about this election, the defeat of hate, the progress of Kamala Harris being the vice president reminded me that I was on the side of right and that we accomplished something historic. We helped save democracy. We brought hope back to the United States. But it also reminded me that they have seen this before. And so have I. The historic signing of the Civil Rights Acts in the 1960s. The historic elections of Barack Obama in 2008-2012. Then I thought about all the people I saw on the news on that same day, November 7th, celebrating in the streets, dancing. I thought about myself earlier that day, running out in the front porch and screaming, yes, my wife and I high-fiving each other. I even thought about how a few of my neighbors and I got together, my wife and we all got together in the front of our house and and had some shots of, of tequila to celebrate as well. What a great, great day. But what happens to all this positive energy All this passion, all this great mobilization to win this historic election now that the election's over. Now that 45 is finally out, the question is what now? Visit us at joinarc.org to learn more about ARC. Donate to our cause and join the movement that will change the world. I remember back when I was in high school in Key West, Florida. My senior year on the football team, I wasn't the best player on the team. I'd only been playing football for about three years, but I was the biggest. I was the fastest. I was the strongest. I was the most athletic on the team. And I knew that all I needed was a little development and coaching. And I was going to be big time. I was like, man, with my size and my speed, nobody's going to be able to stop me. I accepted a full scholarship to play in the Big Ten Conference at Purdue University. The Big Ten at that time, like now, was one of the most premier conferences uh, in the country. And I fully expected to play right away as a freshman. And, you know, that's always a goal that you have as, as a senior in high school. When you go to college, being able to play right away. Being able to one day be a starter. You know, and at 17, I was six feet, five inches tall. I was 225 pounds. I ran a four, six, five, 40 yard dash. Man, I was like, I'm ready to go. Then when I arrived on campus, I remember one of the first guys I met was a safety. Another one was a running back. Man, these guys were dang near my size. And I realized pretty quick, this might be a little bit different situation. The first full day of full practice where the whole team was there was pretty clear. 
that I was no longer the biggest and the strongest or the fastest by a long shot. It was the first time in my life that I actually felt small. After seeing all these dudes on the team, you know, I wasn't even thinking anymore about playing right away or starting or anything like that. I was just thinking, man, <laughs> I got to survive. You know, I, I, can I compete with these guys? You know, so my first goal was to prove that I actually belong, that I could compete with these dudes. You know, once practices started, I did okay. And then I started to realize that, yeah, I can compete with these guys. I belong. Then I started building confidence. I was able to kind of get back to my goals, playing right away. And then I started thinking about, all right, how quickly can I become a starter? When can I make that happen? What's it going to take? You know, few, few guys actually make it to be a Division I scholarship football player. And even fewer at a Power 5 conference school. And then even fewer than that actually become starters. So I made it my goal to be a starter in the Big Ten my second year. This was a big deal from my perspective. Big deal to me because it was the first step toward accomplishing my dream. And that dream started with becoming a starter. All right. Then positioning myself to get drafted and play in the National Football League. I had the passion, the belief, the dedication to do whatever I had to do to become a starter. And kind of make that dream start to happen. I started working extremely hard in the weight room. And in practice, preparing myself every day to compete harder and harder. Get the coach's attention. Earn that starting job the following year. Then I remember one day at practice, one of the starting offensive linemen, this dude was about a year older than me. And when he was a starter, and all, all of a sudden at practice, he was demoted to like third team. Now this is a big deal, man. You get demoted like that. You know, from first, usually you just go to second team. You get demoted to third team. Man, they, they're sending you a message. So it would be a huge impact to a player's confidence, especially a young guy. All of us, again, are dreaming to get the starters. You get demoted like that, man. It's hard to get that position back. It's demoralizing. But as I looked at him, he seemed fine. He didn't really seem that disappointed. And this dude had talent. I mean, he was big. He was quick. He was a good athlete. He was clearly starter talent. So something wasn't quite right. So he was I was pretty cool with him. So I went over and talked to him just to kind of see how he was doing. So I was like, man, that sucks, man. All that hard work you put in, dude, you're good. I know you're going to be pushing it, man. I know you're going to be pushing real hard to get your job back quick, too. But he said, you know, actually, Donzel, I'm okay with it. He says, sometimes you push real hard for something. You have passion for it. You really, really want it bad. And then you get it. And you realize that um, you got to have that same passion every day to keep it. You got to keep bringing it every day. But if you discover that the something that you were striving for that you really you really wanted, you got there, but then you realize you don't really love it. You're not really inspired by it. It's not what you thought it was going to be. 
You can't really generate that same passion, that same drive every day that got you there, that made you want it in the first place. So I said, man, are you telling me that you worked your tail off to become a starter? And now it got taken away from you. You just going to give up? He said, yeah, man. I just don't want it. I realized once I was there, it wasn't what I wanted, man. I didn't have the same drive, the same passion once I got it. He said, the push to become a starter is something that, you know, we're all taught. that That's what we should be striving for. But he said, I realized once I got there, that everyday struggle to keep pushing wasn't there for me, man. The ultimate goal wasn't something I really wanted anymore. Playing in the NFL, I couldn't see myself wanting to do that. He said, but look, Donzo, you're talented. You're going to be a starter before you know it. He said, I hope you keep the passion that you have now once you get there. But he said, don't be surprised if when you do get there, you realize it's not what you thought. You know, he was right. The next year, I was a starter. And man, that euphoric feeling of achievement was awesome. Especially the first game of the season when I heard them announce starting a defensive end from Key West, Florida, Donzel Leggett. But as the weeks went on, I started to feel the same things my teammate had told me the year before. The drive, the passion that it fueled me to get there was very difficult to maintain. It was very hard to have that same drive and passion every day. Because I was slowly realizing that I didn't really love football all that much. Certainly not all the, all the stuff that goes along with it. You know, the games are cool, but the everyday practice, the everyday working out, the everyday pains and aches and all that stuff. I didn't love that as much as my teammates did. I didn't love the grind. That's what we call it. Grinding every day. I didn't love that. Not when it came to football. It's not, it's not about mental toughness or physical toughness. Some people say it is. That's not really what it is. You know, it's about motivation. And there were times I was really motivated and I'd go through anything for my team and players, my teammates. But maintaining that everyday commitment, that grind due to little things, every day, living and breathing football, I just didn't have that. It came down to the fact I just didn't love it. I didn't have the passion for it. My heart was not in it. No matter how good I could have been, I didn't have the same drive to sustain and go further and keep making myself better and better and better. Once I became a starter, that same motivation just wasn't there anymore. I was inspired to achieve that one goal of becoming the starter, thinking that I could maintain that same inspiration and same passion and continue pushing to become a star, to get drafted, and to play in the NFL. But again, my heart wasn't in it. I didn't believe in that dream. I wasn't committed to the long-term hard work and grind that football demands. Ultimately, I realized it was just a game. It wasn't something I wanted to commit my life to. Why do I tell you this story? Because the rebuking, and rejection of 45, Donald Trump, no matter how satisfying that was, 
how joyful that was, how incredible it was on November 7th to feel that victory. We have to realize it's only the first step in defeating Trumpism, eradicating racism and hate, and ultimately spreading anti-racism. This isn't a game. This isn't football. This is life and death. If you don't believe me, consider the over 40,000 additional people that have died from COVID-19 just since my last podcast. This is about the future of democracy. You don't believe that? Check out the fact that 72 million people voted for Donald Trump and the hateful message of Trumpism. And that vast majority, the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of the Republican Party continue to support the false claims of voter fraud by Trump, which is significantly eroding the credibility of our democracy and our democratic voting system. Yes, Joe Biden won this election and Donald Trump lost. 45 is out. No matter what he says, what he does, he's gone. So now what? We have even more work ahead of us now that the election is over than we did before. To save this country, we have to commit to the grind, the long-term hard work of transforming it. Look, I will commit to this long-term work and I will bring even more passion and energy that I had leading up to this election, believe it or not, to ensure that Trumpism remains defeated and does not come back. Because I believe in the vision of ARC. I am committed to the vision and I'm inspired to eradicate racism and hate and spread anti-racism throughout our communities, our countries, and the world. And I ask you, to bring that same passion and energy and sustain it as well. The Arc of Change podcast is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. Visit us at joinarcc.org to learn more about Arc and join our movement. In my last episode, I communicated that ARC is open to anyone and everyone to join our coalition, regardless of political affiliation, as long as the core value of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism is held above all. I also shared that at ARC, we view racism as a cancer to our society, and we believe the best way to deal with it is to treat it like the cancer that it is. I also shared that the urgent treatment needed for this cancer was to remove the most visible embodiment of the malignancy of racism, which we believe was in the form of the 45th president of the United States and all the public officials support him, remain silent or refuse to stand against him. As I said many times, he is not singularly responsible for where we are but he has clearly made things worse and is a visible reminder every day to all Americans and everyone around the world that we tolerate and accept the cancer of racism and hate in this country. So I said to begin to make progress, we had to recognize, acknowledge, and admit that the cancer exists and commit to removing it. 
And that meant voting no to 45 or Donald Trump. I explained that this was not about policy or politics, that it was about values and basic human decency. I explained that it was not about left or right, conservative or liberal, red or blue, that it was about right and wrong. And I said that Donald Trump publicly chose the side of racism, division, tribalism, and wrong. And therefore, we must vote our values and vote for what is right. And that meant voting for Joe Biden and voting against Donald Trump. Now, I released that podcast on October 31st of 2020. Exactly one week later, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were publicly announced as the new president-elect and vice president-elect of the United States. They earned more votes than any presidential ticket in the history of the country with close to 78 million votes and counting. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the popular vote by a record margin of over 5.3 million votes. Not all states have been certified yet, but once all the votes are counted, and the states certify those votes, they are likely to have a winning electoral college tally of over 300. In fact, as of today, it's 306. Biden and Harris reclaimed wins in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and they flipped longtime red states like Arizona and Georgia for the first time in 30 years. When the election was called, People rushed to the streets in cities all over the country to celebrate with one another, dancing and popping champagne bottles and peacefully celebrating the defeat of what many felt was autocratic and near fascist threat to our democracy. Several foreign governments immediately recognized Joe Biden as the winner and joined the celebration with church bells ringing across Paris and fireworks displayed in London. But on the other hand, 45 received about 73 million votes, the second most votes in history, second only to Joe Biden. The second highest popular vote total in the history of the United States. Trump increased his vote totals from 2016, surprising many people who thought that Americans in good conscience would reject his hateful message and incompetent governing. But he won the majority of votes from white Americans, 57%. And surprisingly, he won 55% of white women. And he actually increased his support in some minority populations compared to 2016. He won convincingly in almost all rural areas in America. So it is clear that Trumpism is not dead. Trump has refused to concede the election, making unfounded allegations of voter fraud and stating that he is the rightful winner of the election. He and his enablers are filing frivolous lawsuits alleging voter misconduct without any credible evidence. And as I said earlier, all of this is undermining the credibility of our election process and the stability of our democracy and increasing our vulnerability to foreign bad actors. And again, almost all of the Republican establishment is backing him up. 
Even in defeat, he is intimidating Republican leaders to support him and do his bidding instead of standing up and speaking out to protect our country and our democracy, weakening us in the eyes of our enemies and our allies alike. He is firing anyone in his administration he deems as not loyal enough to him, even if they're simply standing with the Constitution. He's already fired the Secretary of Defense, creating concern and instability going into what will be a transition of administration, regardless of his baseless claims that there was somehow cheating and unproven voter fraud. But his 74 million supporters actually believe him and this ridiculous claim that he was cheated. Many support him continuing to delegitimize the results of this election and thus continuing to undermine our election process itself. And many support him not leaving office peacefully like all other presidents have done before him when their term ended, either by time or by vote since George Washington over 200 years ago. Trump's supporters have continued to come out in force in places like Maricopa County, Arizona, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, St. Paul, Minnesota, and most recently, Washington, D.C. with this Million MAGA March, which, by the way, pictures show the numbers aren't anywhere living up to the billing. But the fact is, they're showing up to protest his defeat. The bottom line is he has successfully sown the seeds of hate and distrust and cultivated a dense forest of division in this country. This extreme division confirmed by the 74 million people who voted for him and continue to stand behind him have shown that they're not going anywhere. Trumpism is not dead. And his supporters are not changing overnight. As President Obama and many other Democrats and prominent Republicans have said, this is a dangerous path for democracy. America and democracy was saved for now by this election. But remember that the cancer of racism, Trumpism, and hate still exists. We may have removed the tumor, but the cancer cells are still there. So what now? Visit us at joinarcc.org. Follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And like us on Facebook. So what now? We all must commit to the same passion it took to win this election, to the hard and continuous work ahead of us, the long-term treatment to rid ourselves of this cancer once and for all. Look, so much of Trumpism is wrapped in racism and hate. They are inextricably linked. Whether it is hate against immigrants or women or the LGBTQ community, or black or brown people, or poor people, whomever. The link 
is the extreme and deep division that has been sown and cultivated by Trumpism and that has been used to weaken this country. If we eradicate racism and hate, we eradicate Trumpism. If we spread anti-racism and anti-hate, we spread unity. This is what ARC is all about. Again, in my last episode, I mentioned that at ARC, we have a two-phase strategy to treat the cancer of racism, one short-term and one long-term. The first step, the short-term, was the immediate and urgent treatment of the cancer of racism by removing the most visible embodiment of the malignancy of racism, which I said was voting out of office Donald Trump. And we've done that. But that's not the end. Trumpism still lives. So what we must do now is the second step in our ARC strategy, which is committing to the long-term treatment that is required to rid ourselves of the cancer of racism and keep it in remission. And this means doing the hard work of transforming ourselves to be anti-racist, then transforming those in our networks to also become anti-racist and to join ARC and do the same within their networks and so on and so on to spread anti-racism through the network exponential growth effect. And in this way, we all take a stand together and commit to eradicate the cancer of racism once and for all and to keep it in remission by relentlessly spreading anti-racism. So the what now is committing to the grind, the hard work that ARC is all about, transforming yourself to be anti-racist and anti-hate and transforming your network to do the same. This is the work that only you can do. And if we all do this, one person at a time, one network at a time, and influence those in our networks to do the same thing, we will change this country and we will change the world. The question is, how bad do we want it? Because it will not be easy. Challenging those in your personal networks, your family, your friends, your business associates, will be uncomfortable. You're going to want to avoid it. You're going to want to give up and just let things go. But this is what the racist counts on. This is what the person who's wrapped up in hate counts on. Your unwillingness to be uncomfortable. Your unwillingness to hold them accountable. It is so much easier to just say, hey, I I voted for Biden, even though my family didn't. Now we can all just go back to the way it was. Or, hey man, I stood my ground. I stayed with Biden. Now I can just go back to golfing with my friends and just not talk about it. Or, hey man, we did it. We stood in those long lines. We voted for Biden. We defeated Trump. Now we can just go back to normal. You know, my college football story from earlier. I had other choices besides football that were great for me. I realized that I did not love football enough to commit to that grind every day to keep going after the same thing in terms of achieving that goal of being a starter 
and trying to get to the NFL. That just, that's just not what I wanted. And I had other choices that were not only great for me, but actually could have a real positive impact on life and society. I could pursue education, higher education. I could be a good family man, great father, great husband. I could be a role model, a broad role model, not just for sports and not just for one group of people. I could be a community leader. I could be a mentor. I realized that football was just a game. And in the scheme of things, it really wasn't that important. And you know what? This isn't football. This isn't a game. This is our life. Our collective lives. Our communities. Our countries. This is our world that's at stake. This is our democracy and our freedom. This is the future of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Things will never go back to normal or the way they used to be or the way things were. That's the thing about time and about the world. It continues to change. And it's up to us to determine and shape that change. And what happens now? We are facing a continuous, serious, ongoing threat to our democracy, our freedom, and world stability. And this is just the beginning. It's only going to get worse. Especially the Republican Party continues its cowardice and treason by not standing up to Trump's disastrous and dangerous behaviors and his preposterous claims of being cheated. What he's doing is riling up the, the 74 million people that voted for him. And I'm not talking about all Republicans. I'm talking about the ones who refuse to take a stand against him and stand with our country. And remember that all this is going on while COVID-19 reaches higher and higher and higher records every day. Now we're close to 150,000 confirmed cases per day in the United States. And there are some that are forecasting that the fatalities in total just for the United States could approach half a million before this thing is over. So yes, it's good that the majority of the country, 78 million people, voted no to 45 and chose the side of right. But the forces of wrong are continuing to sow those seeds of division, misinformation, and leading to greater and greater turmoil and creating the potential for darker days ahead. November 7th was a fantastic day. It was a historic day. But the real work starts now. And for all 78 million people who stood up, spoke out and took action with your vote on the side of right. For your vote to truly count. For your passion, your inspiration and your drive to truly mean something. All the work you put into leading up to that historic day 
all that positive energy that you felt on November 7th. We've got to channel all of that into purposeful, long-term action. So what now? We must decide how much we want a permanent change, a transformation of this country, how bad we want to ensure that Trumpism is vanquished, at least from the mainstream and at best eradicated altogether. How much we're willing to passionately commit to the hard work over the long haul to create the equitable country that most of us in the United States want this country to be and many around the world look to as a role model for what a truly just and equal society of diverse people can look like. This is nothing like the superficial dream of being a starter on a football team. This is an altruistic inspired belief in creating a society in which racism and hate are not only unacceptable, but are banished to the embarrassing fringe and replaced with the pride of anti-racism and anti-hate and the commitment to make it happen. So now that 45 is out, what should we do now? How about this? Commit to standing up, speaking out and taking action against Trumpism and all public officials who still continue to support it, remain silent in the face of it or refuse to take a stand against it, continuing to undermine and weaken our democracy and convince those in your network to do the same. Commit to transforming yourself and all in your network to become a proud anti-racist and hold yourself and those in your network accountable to do the same. Make racism and hate unacceptable for anyone around you. Commit to continuously educating yourself about the true history of the United States and its people, not the Eurocentric version only, and ensure that you work to bring the real history of this country to finally be reflected in our schools, in our books, and in our curriculum. Commit to always speaking out about racism and taking action to eradicate it and replace it with anti-racism, no matter the audience. Commit to never allowing racist dog whistles and racially charged code words like thug and rioters to go unchallenged and call them what they are, racist terms. Commit to always voting and not just in presidential elections, and using your vote for candidates who stand for anti-racism, and use it against those who back racist policies and remain silent or take no action to eradicate racism. Use your influence in vote to have racist statues, buildings, and street names, and other shameful honorariums removed. Commit to using your money as a tool to promote anti-racism by supporting businesses that publicly take action to drive anti-racism and use your money as a weapon against those who remain silent on issues of race or support racism and hate by boycotting their businesses and commit to supporting ARC publicly by joining our organization, our coalition, and displaying your picture and commitment statement on the coalition page to provide support and inspiration to the next prospective ARC member and donate to our cause to help extend our reach and further our mission. So commit now to ARC 
and become part of the movement to change the world and spread anti-racism with the arc of exponential network growth. This is the kind of ongoing passion and commitment we will need if we want to truly eradicate racism and hate and spread anti-racism. It is a lofty goal, one that some have pursued for over 400 years, but it is one that as we start to experience it, even in small pockets, I guarantee you, you will feel it and it will be worth it. It will feel like more than what you expected. It will be a better feeling than what you thought it could be. And it will actually inspire you to go further and do more to embrace the grind, the hard work ahead. Join us at ARC so we will have the people and the passion and the coalition to create the movement and build the momentum to actually change the world. Join us and become part of the movement to ensure that Trumpism, racism, and hate are defeated once and for all. Visit us at joinarcc.org to learn more about ARC. Donate to our cause and join the movement that will change the world. To find the Arc of Change podcast with Donzo Leggett and learn more about the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition or ARC, please visit us at joinarc.org. You can also subscribe to the Arc of Change with Donzo Leggett on your favorite podcast hosting sites. I greatly look forward to our next episode, an opportunity to inspire you to become part of the movement that will change the world by eradicating racism once and for all. Until next time, stay safe and continue to ask yourself, am I doing enough? And remember that none of us are doing enough as long as racism and hate still exist. Thanks for listening and goodbye. The Arc of Change podcast with Donzo Leggett is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. To learn more about ARC, donate to our cause, and join the coalition, visit joinarcc.org. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share this podcast to help spread our mission to change the world by ending racism once and for all. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe and be inspired.